Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is Marcello Rolando. I am your host of the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. And as I've been asked several times lately to point out, that's reasonable voices as in plural. My guests are the reasonable voices, and we have a reasonable voice today, Benjamin K. Rowe, who is the executive director of the Heifetz International Music Institute in Stanton, Virginia. Ben, how are you today? I'm very well, Marcello. Well, it's a pleasure to chat with you, and I hope that what I say will not sound unreasonable. <laughs> I appreciate the humor. Let me tell you, it's been it's been a fun morning. We all have those every now and then, and it's not that it was bad. It was just a, the schedule was simply ignored, <laughs> and I had to go with that. But anyway, back to Ben. Ben, uh, I know you've been, we, we spoke last year on the 18th of May. I just discovered that before going on air, that... Um, we are talking now just two days short of a year ago. I know we've spoken since then, but on radio, um, it has been almost a year. And you do amazing things uh, with the Heifetz International Music Institute, especially in the summers, for musicians. And I guess we want to talk about that because this is a whole year has gone past. What's going on in 2016 summer uh, at the Heifetz International Music Institute? It's your 20th anniversary, yes? It is our 20th anniversary indeed, and um, we are going to celebrate in grand style, Marcello. Mm -hmm. You might recall that when we spoke uh, last year, uh, I was doing a little preview of some of the events and activities that will be going on with the Heifetz Institute. In fact, we expanded our series up to 36 separate events that took place last summer in 2015 uh, here in Stanton. Well, clearly that wasn't enough because we're doing 45 this year uh, in, in celebration of our uh, 20th anniversary, and we're quite excited about it. It is now five years since we have been here in um, Stanton uh, as the new permanent home of the Heifetz Institute, and 20 years overall that Daniel Heifetz founded a revolutionary concept in music education about teaching both technical brilliance as well as understanding and communicating the emotion of the music underneath it. 
Before we go on, Ben, uh, give us a little more biographical background for Daniel Heifetz. Daniel Heifetz is a uh, is a cousin of the one of the great violin names of the 20th century, Yasha Heifetz. Yes. Back to my old job in public broadcasting, last year they produced an hour-long American Masters documentary about Yasha Heifetz called God's Fiddler, mm-hmm. and many people felt he was uh, truly the sort of the imperious figure on stage who played everything. He appeared in movies. He was just known as Heifetz to many people, mm-hmm. and uh, was you know, truly an extraordinary figure. Uh, Yasha spent most of his adult life living on the West Coast, and mm-hmm. in fact, young Daniel Heifetz, uh, who is a distant cousin of Yasha's from the same family branch. Yasha gave Daniel a couple of lessons and invited him to be his student. Now, it is not often that people turn down in his lifetime Yasha Heifetz. Yes. Daniel was one of those rare birds who did just that, figuring that perhaps being literally in the shadow of Heifetz, sharing more than just the last name, was perhaps not the best move for establishing his own persona and career. So what he did instead was to fly across the country in his own volition and study at the Curtis Institute of Music under uh, Ephraim Zimbalist, who was also a great violinist, the great pedagogue who was for many, many decades the director of the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. and sort of set Daniel off on his career of being a maverick, uh, of being an innovator, and of, of... being the person who would zig when other people were zagging, or vice versa. Yes. So, uh, and what led to the Institute founding was that uh, Daniel uh, developed uh, some ulnar nerve um, injuries. He had a shortened ulnar nerve in both of his arms, which is a little bit like for baseball pitchers, you know, where they have Tommy John surgery because of the, you know, the amount of repetitive stress that happens. Mm. He was actually uh, born biologically with um, shortened nerves, so it, it caused him a great deal of pain as he got older mm-hmm. when he was playing, still maintaining an incredible uh, touring schedule, playing all over the world, doing recordings, doing live broadcasts, but he, he had surgery on both of his elbows and continues to play, but not at that kind of intensity, and instead turned his energies and attention towards founding the Heifetz Institute, really based on this notion that he looked around at what conservatories were teaching, and he himself taught at Peabody at the University of Maryland, Mm -hmm. and said something is missing here. And the problem with declining classical music audiences, the problem with it sort of being perhaps uh, a lot of the life being snuffed out of it in the conservatories and that very rigorous academic training was people were losing the emotional connection to the music. And that is exactly what we teach every Mm -hmm. summer here uh, in Stanton. Mm-hmm. Not only do we teach violin and technical skills, but we also put the students through the paces of learning how to sing, of learning how to act, of learning movement, dancing steps, of learning about health and nutrition, and what we ultimately call freedom of expression. In essence, how to take these mostly adolescents and teach them and free them to develop their own personalities. Not to be the next yo-yo mob, but to be the next themselves. Mm-hmm. And also, I would think, I mean, it's, you, I know you've said all of this to me before, but it's, it's magnificent to hear it and, and remind our ever-growing audience of what you're doing over in Stanton, because you make the whole person. The artist has to be, I always tell actors I work with, especially when I work on camera, I want them to come, come you work the camera. Get so this is this is not a foreign thing to, for you across the the studio across the room. It's something you can touch and feel and relate to. So 
let us relate to, let's touch the camera and be aware of it, run the camera. And we take turns even when we're doing docs or whatever. But um, but I hear what you're saying. I, I just think so often people, artists too, but mostly the, the audience thinks that the artist is just the talent. But you have to be a person who's lived something, who's felt things, who's experienced things. And when you are an adolescent, then that's even more necessary because you don't have the years yet, but somehow the system, the training, the education, the learning process has to imbibe you with with the very nature of yourself. Is that one of the analogies that I use is you know, as the father of a young woman, and I remember when she was a teenager and, and applying to colleges, and at that sort of time when you're 16 and you're 17 and you're looking around and sort of imagining what your future is going to be, uh, you're making your college applications. And of course, it can be so difficult to go through that period where what you're trying desperately to do is to fit in, to be yes. you know, not ostracized, not to be a victim of the mean girls and everything else. And meanwhile, there they have the college application. The college says, what makes you so special? What's mm. different about you? How do you stand out? So in many ways, on, on a different scale, know that if you are a student at Juilliard or Lincoln Conservatory, you're in your practice room and there's the other student next to you in the practice room playing the same exact piece. Mm. Well, what's the difference going to be? What's going to be the extra edge so that I want to hear player A perform? No. So in a way, we're trying to equip them with the permission and the life skills to challenge themselves and to free themselves and perhaps to have a leg up in terms of their potential career. We're really trying to help give them know uh, uh, the best footing possible for what you and I know is a very very tough business mm, yes tell me what is you you've made a connection with uh, the Blackfriars theater is that a new connection or is that yes. a con- uh-huh. yeah, so to get back well I should say sort of as a broad statement here as I'm I'm waxing philosophical the the third leg of the stool that we construct every summer in Stanton is we have the the incredible faculty who give incredible private lessons, master classes, coaching, studio classes. We have the communication training that you and I have been talking about. Yes. But none of that matters if you don't do it in front of people. Exactly. So we have this very intensive, what we call the Festival of Concerts. And pretty much, Marcello, for anybody that's listening to us, any time between the end of June and the middle of August, if you head over the mountain, come to Stanton, there will be some hypothetical activity going on every mm. day. I guarantee it. Mm. And um, what you're referring to is that we've started something new uh, this summer, sort of like a uh, mini TED Talks for Stanton, perhaps. We're calling it the Heifetz Summer Symposium. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of exploring that intersection between music and ideas and some brain food to go with the, the, the musical feast that we offer. Mm-hmm. So every Monday night, and these concerts are, by the way, they're free. Of course, you're free to make a donation, but they are free at the wonderful Blackfriars Theater, mm-hmm. where we're going to have a different speaker uh, talking and are addressing some musical topic or artistic topic related to some of the things that we're doing and the audiences are experiencing here in Stanton. Mm. So, for example, we have this wonderful violinist who is with the Borromeo Quartet, who are in residence at the New England Conservatory in Boston. His name is Nicholas Kitchen, North Carolina native. Mm-hmm. And Nick uh, is a real kind of pioneer in many, many ways. His quartet, the Borromeos, they all use iPads and they perform and they all read off the same score. They'll read their own parts. <laughs> They're actually looking at the manuscript. 
but he's going to talk about uh, Beethoven and Shakespeare as revolutionaries mm. and uh, sort of compare their modus operandi. I think it's going to be a very interesting talk. Yes. We have uh, the dance critic, the Pulitzer Prize winning dance critic from the Washington Post named Sarah Kaufman uh, coming. Sarah uh, mm-hmm. just written a fascinating book called Living Through Grace. And it's all uh, sort of trying to explain and understand and articulate those people that live these lives like a Bing Crosby or a Michael Jordan or uh, Maya Plitsetskaya, what makes them so special? Mm-hmm. What is it about their the effortless, seemingly effortless grace with which they carry their lives, which I think has incredible ramifications for our uh, communication training. Yes. So that's the type of thing that will be happening on Monday night here, uh, and we'll proceed them with a short kind of musical prelude by some of our hyphen students, because we always want to give them a chance to get out in front of people. And what's the what's the age range for the HIFAS students? Well, that is a very interesting question, Marcello. <laughs> it has been up until this year, uh, ages thirteen to about twenty-five. So, at the top end, we have really students on the verge of professional careers who are enrolled in our chamber music seminar, and so they can be in their mid uh, to upper twenties. Mm. But that's only sixteen students, and we have traditionally taken students as young as 13 years old for our regular six-week program. Now, this year, in partnership with Mary Baldwin, we've started a new three-week program called Heifetz Peg, and the title is a reference to Mary Baldwin's existing program for the exceptionally gifted that they've had going on uh, for some years, and they're, they're seen as a real leader in the field, mm-hmm. which is where they accept young teens as regular college students. They have special counseling, they have special dorms, they have you know, special sort of care and feeding, uh, but they are actually enrolled in taking college credit courses. Wow. Using that model, we've started this three-week program for young string players as young as eight years old. So it's eight to 13-year-olds who will be coming for three weeks during the middle of the summer. And we're very excited about this. It's something brand new for us. That is, wow, that's uh, quite impressive. I just find that fascinating because I think we tend to expect less of our young people. And there's the only thing that's limiting them is our telling them, oh, you can't do that because it's never been done. Well, Talk to us. Yeah. yeah. Indeed, this is the first year that we're doing it, but it's a logical alliance between our institutions. Instead of just being housed at Mary Baldwin, we're actually developing this program in collaboration and coordination with them because they have such a pro- profile doing precisely what you were referring to, mm-hmm. having students, in this case female students, at, at Mary Baldwin during the regular year, uh, as young as 14, mm. taking college-level courses and living on the college, going to classes with peers who are uh, sort of regularly aged college students, but they have their, they often have uh, emotional needs and developmental needs that are going to be different. So they have on-resident staff that looks after them. They have their own dorm, their own safe place to go. Sure. So we're emulating that quite a bit with this program, this summer program, uh, for three weeks. And also the the level of study and the level of teaching at the Hypens Institute is so high level and so intense and so concentrated that we think for younger children that really three weeks is probably about as long as is really sustainable for them. Mm-hmm. And these are all female string students, yes? Not, well, actually, our program, Mary Baldwin's uh, PEG program, is all female. Ours oh. will be co-ed. Oh, okay. 
about three weeks and string students. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did I ever tell you? I probably yeah. did when we talked last year. I played the viola um, for, uh, I guess, primarily, I think, just elementary school. It's been so long. But um, the reason is, is the thing. I had played the violin, and for whatever reason, um, we got to school, uh, and maybe it was middle school. I can't remember. Whatever it was, uh, um, I was introduced to the orchestra, and the conductor uh, didn't have any violist, and I had the longest okay. fingers. <laughs> Or <laughs> whatever, I can't remember. That was the whole reason. He said, well, you're going to be, you're going to learn the viola. Um, and, you know, and the C clef and all that differences and whatever. And I did. And I played for five or six years somewhere in that bridging the elementary school and, and uh, junior high school age. Anyway, the point is, even though he didn't recognize any particular virtuoso ability, he did recognize my long fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned I learned how to play the viola. So I do have some sense of, of that achievement and, and the good old days at Juilliard as the um, uh, director of the rehearsal department there and, and meeting some of the greats who came to perform. Um, it, you know, it's uh, it's something. And they love and they all love children, by the way. You know, uh, Isaac Stern, he loved children. I mean, when they would come over, they wanted not just our uh, graduate age students, but they wanted them bring your younger siblings and friends and family too. And it was, you know, the children just to see them looking at them. Well, see me looking at them. Anyway, it's just that every time I talk to you, I think of those experiences at Juilliard and, you know, and, and as a child, being fortunate enough, my parents didn't see the wisdom necessarily in my loving the arts, but they never tried to stop me. Right. So, right. Well, well, we have, you know, we have, we, we just came back, uh, Marcello, from one of our tour programs with Hybrids on Tour. Mm. We did eight weeks of touring this year, which was uh, a record for us. Wow. And the, the last week, we were guests of uh, a gentleman who came to a Hybrids concert a couple of years ago or got so swept up and caught up and excited about what he was seeing our students do is that he took up the cello. So he is in his mid fifties and he is playing the cello Wonderful. and he, he hosted us for a house concert and a beautiful location, right? We're looking Newport Harbor and mm. for a special encore, we, uh, we invited him to join. He's like in book one of the Suzuki method, but our students played along with him and it sort of shocked everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful so, story. It's no, a wonderful no, story. If you want to break out that viola again, <laughs> no, we, 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 can, we can hook you up. You know, I don't even know if I can read the C-clef anymore. But listen, we're going to take a break on that, uh, on that note. We'll be right back. We are talking to the ever-delightful, talented, and informative and entertaining executive director of the Heifetz International Music Institute, Ben K. Rowe. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. If there are any film fans out there not yet seduced by the charms of Hal Ashby's 1971 dark comedy, it's time to end all that. 
Harold and Maude now shows up on many best films lists and has become a touchstone film for its generation. Harold and Maude is a love story, but with a catch. The young man in his early 20s is obsessed with death. The woman he loves, almost 60 years his senior, is irrepressibly obsessed with living life to the fullest. They are the perfect match. 79-year-old Maude Chardin is played by the beloved Ruth Gordon, the ever-free-spirited veteran of stage and screen. But Court and his wide-eyed virginal deadpan face hilariously underplays spoiled little rich boy Harold Chasen, whose particular antics we dare not reveal lest we spoil the fun. You might also recognize an uncredited Tom Skerritt as a hilariously befuddled motorcycle cop. Young UCLA student Colin Higgins wrote the Harold and Maude screenplay as his master's thesis, and Cat Stevens cemented his career by providing the delightfully reflective soundtrack. Altogether, a truly masterful team effort, yielding a truly remarkable little film full of big laughs and quirky surprises. If you want to sing out, sing out! Harold and Maude, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today, Benjamin K. Rowe, the executive director of the Heifetz International Music Institute. Ben and I have been talking about a number of things. First of all, it is the 20th anniversary of the Heifetz International Music Institute. The plans for the summer we've discussed, and of course the new Monday night series at Blackfriars Theatre, the Heifetz Summer Symposium, and Ben and I were just talking as uh, as as we were ending the last segment about a, a gentleman in his fifties who's been inspired to learn the cello and how the students joined with him as he sort of made his debut. I mean, I think that's such a fabulous story. Ben, welcome back. Thank you very much. And. Uh, well, was there anything we left out about the, the gentleman who hosted you and then became a part of the uh, performance? Did we cut? Well, just that, it, well, we like to think that it's uh, inspiring on many levels. And, yes. And one reason, though, that we do spend the other aspect of the Hypus Institute when we're not here in the summer with our exhaustive list of concerts, uh, exhaustive for us, not for the audience, I hope, mm-hmm. uh, but we also do touring programs called Hypus on Tour. Ah, yes. And this is, the full name for it is our National Program of Career Development and Outreach mm. because it takes some of our best alums and they go out on the road into different locales around the country and they are literally embedded within a community. So they will play in the schools, they'll play in the boys and girls clubs, they'll play at the Rotary and the Lions Club, they'll play at a senior center, they'll play in a hospital, and they'll do private concerts in people's homes. And, and this is sort of an extension of our philosophy that as important and as exciting as it is to come here to Stanton or to go hear a Heifetz concert at a museum or a concert hall, mm-hmm. we also want to provide music for people where they don't expect it where they might not expect in a, in a hospital setting ah, yes. uh, to, they, or have the ability to come to one of our concerts, so we will come to them. And this is a big part of our, you know, we really are trying to change how people think about, how people react to, and where people hear classical music, this mm. thing that we call classical music. And instead of you know, whining and griping and, and uh, are wringing our hands about about the future of the music. Well, we're trying to do something in our little corner of Virginia here about it. Yes. And you know, that's that's absolutely essential. 
you still hear this music, and sometimes you don't know you're hearing it because it's buried in a, a, a news broadcast theme or a movie or whatever, but that's still that music that has lasted through the centuries, and I think if for no other reason it needs to be respected, but to be taught to children and have them become uh, experts at it, to, be, to have this expertise, man, and to teach them acting and singing and movement and everything. Well, that's what goes on at Heifetz International Music Institute with its great staff and, and teachers. Then what is this Take Your Seat campaign? Ah, yes. Well, because it's our 20th anniversary and because we have really enjoyed the partnership that we have uh, with Mary Baldwin, you may know that Mary Baldwin College this summer at the end of the Institute in about two weeks, on August 31st, will become and really sort of evolve into Mary Baldwin University, which is a journey that yes. the school started in 1842 mm-hmm. uh, as a seminar, a female seminary, and has sort of evolved and as its educational footprint and ambitions have grown, and will become a full-fledged university in honor of its 175th birthday wow. with a whole bunch of new kind of disciplines and colleges that will be part of that university on August 31st. So uh, we thought that we would lock hands together, and in essence, we have a lot of company coming this summer, so we're going to dress up yes. the old barn and yeah. uh, give, do, do a thorough renovation of the auditorium in time for it to start. Uh, when you come to our first Heifetz concert in July, you'll have new seats, new carpets, new light, a, a new uh, stage configuration, and uh, new overhead lighting. We're quite excited about it. Uh, and the way that we're going to pay for it is what we're calling the Take Your Seat campaign. So mm-hmm. that people will actually be able to uh, buy a seat depending on you know, how close you want to be and how good a look at the keyboard you want to have, <laughs> as, as close or as far away. And that each one of these individual contributions, uh, as we budget it out, will actually sustain the cost of the uh, complete renovation. So we're not talking about, Marcello, about a $2 million, $4 million multi-million dollar project because mm-hmm. you know how those can founder. We're talking about something that, that will cost $200,000 for uh, a, an auditorium that seats 250 or so people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, and we've already, we're off to a very good start and we've raised about 10% already just after announcing the weekend. Uh, we're quite confident that we'll have all the money raised before the summer is over. And uh, I invite you, Marcello, to yes. come and take a seat. Okay. <laughs> We've got a whole bunch of information about it on our website. At yes, tell us. Say that again. I think I've talked over you. What? How can they find out about Take Your Seat and make a donation? We have a whole lot of information about this uh, at our website, heifetzinstitute.org. Now, one thing that's important to note here is because we're doing this in partnership with Murray Baldwin, it's tax deductible, of course. We're both uh, nonprofit institutions, but the funds are actually being stewarded by the Community Foundation of the Central Blue Ridge, which serves Stanton and Waynesboro and Augusta County. Yeah. So that uh, it's not a question of it's our fundraising or it's Murray Baldwin's fundraising. It is a targeted campaign that we're both contributing to specifically for this project. So donors should feel very comfortable that 100% of the money that they're donating, is, you know, it's not going to pay my salary or to pay for the trash removal, it's to pay for this renovation campaign. And is the renovation uh, specifically for the Francis Auditorium, did you say that? 
Yes, it is. Wow. I don't think I mentioned Francis Auditorium, so thanks for doing your, your journalistic <laughs> due diligence. <laughs> but Francis Auditorium on the Mary Baldwin campus is sort of our, that's our home base. Uh-huh. We also do concerts in the summer at Blackfriars, as we discussed. Also, we do concerts at the historic Temple House of Israel, which is the small uh, little uh, synagogue that mm-hmm. was built in 1925, right down the, the street from Mary Baldwin. And our opening ceremony, again, will be at this new Sunspots Pavilion. On um, It took me a while to figure out why it's called Stanton Wharf, since there's no body of water around <laughs> it. But the Stanton Wharf part of town is where we do our little opening ceremony, and that'll be on July 2nd. Oh, wow. This area, Charlottesville and Stanton and Waynesboro, the culture here. No, it, it, it's true, and, and the, certainly we think that this is, you know, you keep seeing Stanton pop up in these best small towns, best main streets. Yes. You know, one of the best small places to live. We actually have a headquarters now. We moved a year ago. We have our own little uh, box office and gift shop of unique music merchandise, as we call it, uh, right on the main drag of Stanton called East Beverly Street or on the eastern side but uh, it's really it's really something for me to see on a weekend afternoon you might have somebody who comes into uh, the Blackfriars Theater to see a world-class production by the Shakespeare Theater and the Shakespeare Company and they walk up and down and they see the glass blowing studio and they see the the wineries and the brew pubs and the gift shops and the antique shops and they their head explodes like yes. this is all in Stanton yes you know? so but the larger story about Stanton in a way is not that it was renovated but that it never got destroyed uh-huh. that, that this was one of these places that really birthed the movement towards historic preservation yes. and some very determined ladies in town saw did not think that putting a superhighway through the middle of town was all that great of an mm-hmm. idea. So they managed to keep it out. And so now the the architecture, the, the incredible late 19th century, early 20th century architecture of Stanton, particularly its commercial architecture, was all preserved. So that's what now people come and they see this main street and they can't believe it. But that's the reason why. It's just an area that booms in culture and history and art, and mm-hmm. at least you and I know it, and we're spreading the word. How's that? Well, and by the way, though, that we use this very much as a recruiting tool for people to come to the Institute. For example, that our students love coming here. They love the small-town atmosphere, but they love the variety, and boy, do they love the ice cream shop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I promised earlier we were going to talk about why International is in the name of the Institute. Tell us a bit about that. Yes. Well, in fact, there's a a new story to add to that as well. Okay. It's called International because our profile is international, our student body is international. Many of our teachers come from Korea, from Japan, from Germany, from France, from Israel. So... On the one hand, we have an international profile in terms of these students and faculty that come here every summer. But I'm pleased to tell you that starting in the fall, we have just concluded our first agreement uh, with an international institution. Mm. So we are going to be uh, doing a partnership with the Jerusalem Music Center wow. uh, in Israel, which was founded by Isaac Stern. The current president is Murray Pariah. And we will this fall be doing our her first sort of I call it in football terms a mini camp, but we're yeah. going to be going over there for 10 days with some of our, with Daniel Heifetz, of course, and yes. along with some of our top faculty, both the 
string instructors as well as our communication teachers and essentially doing a foreshortened version of the Heifetz Institute for uh, kids uh, from Israel in partnership with the Jerusalem Music Center. And then later on in the fall, we're going to be sending our first ever Heifetz Quartet. Actually, Yasha had a quartet in the 40s, but we're going to have the new Heifetz Quartet, mm. and they are going to go on tour through Israel. So this will be our international debut. Wow. Wow, Ben. That is, wow. That is something. That that definitely is a, is a lot more than a new wrinkle to the story. That is so impressive. Congratulations. So, anyway, here- here in the sleepy little Shenandoah, we're doing some things. We are doing some things. <laughs> wow. I want to make certain. I've looked at your calendar of events, and I mean, it's just so overwhelmingly uh, covers everything and every day. But give us some, drop a few hints if we haven't touched on some of them, of what can be expected. Or tell us where we can find the calendar of the events, because it's quite an impressive thing to, to just look at, to search well, like a catalog. Thank you, Marcello. I mean, that, that it is, I think, uh, a very uh, impressive lineup of I say to myself. Let me point out just a couple of highlights for you and also sort of give you, a, sort of break it down a little bit. Yes. I mentioned that on Mondays uh, we do the uh, speaker series, which is new in the evenings. Mondays at noon, we also do a free event every Monday at noon during the Institute, which is called Heifetz at the Temple House, which are these free noontime concerts in the Temple House of Israel. Mm. Then Tuesday... Uh, through Friday, we move every evening into Francis Auditorium, which will be, as we discussed earlier, the renovated Francis Auditorium. Yes. And Tuesdays and Thursdays are what we call Stars of Tomorrow concerts, and those feature our students along with our collaborative piano faculty. On Wednesdays, it's also Stars of Tomorrow concerts, but it's really devoted to these students in the chamber music seminar I was referencing. So you'll tend to hear more string quartets, piano trios, piano quintets, piano quartets uh, on those days. And then on Fridays is what we call our celebrity series, and that is with our star faculty. Mm. So those are the concerts that will feature, well, for example, our 20th anniversary concert. The first Friday concert will be the Emerson String Quartet, who Mm. are making their debut with us as part of our celebration of the 20th anniversary. Now, these concerts, we actually call the Celebrity Series Happy Hour Concerts because the way that they work, we started this last year and were, they were instantly popular. Then you come at five and uh, you can have a couple of glasses of wine from a sponsor who's a local vineyard. So mm-hmm. we have vineyards like Oxeye or Barron Ridge or Afton, some of those that are around here and also artisanal food. So there's a little bit of nibbles, and you have a nice time to relax, and it's all included in the ticket price. Then we have the concerts that go for about 75 minutes with our faculty, and then you've got time to go have a nice dinner and stand afterwards. So that's what we do on Friday. And on Saturday nights, also something that's a continuation of something that was immensely popular last year, the Heifetz Hootenanny. Oh, yes. And the Heifetz Hootenanny concept is that these students that we have are talented in many, many genres beyond classical music. And we also wanted to have the occasional guest appearance by some of the great local musicians here. So last year we were doing them in different spots around town, and which was great to be in different venues. Not so great because we sold every one of them out and it was got, got a little crowded. <laughs> so this year we're, we're pitching a big tent 
uh, up on the campus of Mary Baldwin, mm-hmm. and uh, the Hoop Nannies will be under the tent every Saturday night, and they'll feature this kind of crazy mixture of different musical genres, musical styles, student performances, and it's just a whole lot of fun. And then the, the week ends up on Sundays with our Hype of Sunday matinee. So this is also something we started last year. So that every Sunday we have uh, a mixture of our artists in residence, our alums and uh, faculty and students getting together to play really sort of more Sunday appropriate music, I suppose. But it's, <laughs> it's, uh, we'll be having some of our great alums because it's our 20th anniversary, some of our competition winners who have won things like Tchaikovsky or Queen Elizabeth and the Leopold Mozart Festival mm-hmm. competition will be coming and playing sort of mini recitals on Sunday afternoons. So there's a whole lot to look forward to, and I think that our prices are dirt cheap, and mm-hmm. if people are interested, they can even buy season tickets and come to get a, get a season pass and basically just not have to worry about getting a ticket for anything but just showing up. It sounds like it's such a broad, wide-ranging program. There's something for everyone, and yet there's it, the the core, the foundation of it, is this strong new generation t- taking up the mantle of classical music and many different genres of music, but certainly classical music and string instruments. It really does remind me, when you describe it, of my days at uh, Peabody and Juilliard. These are the experiences you take all your life. I'm yeah. sure everyone, especially the children, but the teachers as well, you can't work with kids with something as beautiful as this, watch them achieve it, and not be moved and touched and changed by you. You just can't. I think I have uh, you know, one of the greatest jobs around. You know, cause yes. Uh, I was saying to somebody that, that uh, being in charge of the Hyperson Institute has taken 20 years off of my career, <laughs> and I got corrected and said, no, it's added 20 years to your yes, career. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, I guess, it, like with all great things, it has to end at least for now, but we'll talk once a year whether we need it or not. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Benjamin K. Rowe, the Executive Director of the Heifetz International Music Institute, for being our guest today. It has been an absolute pleasure, as always. So many wonderful things going on in Central Virginia, particularly in Stanton. So we will um, we'll talk to you again uh, next year, if not before. How's that? Thank you, Marcello. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Breaking the fourth wall is the term for having an actor come out of the story to address the audience directly. It can sometimes have the effect of morphing an immersive experience into one with less emotional involvement. But in the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio, director-screenwriter Jane Anderson deftly uses star Julianne Moore to speak directly to us as a guide through the tale, and a tear still falls at the end. This is the true story of Evelyn Ryan, played by Moore, a mother of ten who is striving mightily to raise her brood in a loving household. Despite the actions of her ne'er-do-well, sometimes brutish but lovable just-the-same husband, played by Woody Harrelson. How? By winning contests. Not the mind-numbing chance drawings of today, but actions that well fit Evelyn's literate skill set. Write a jingle. Come up with a slogan. 
Most effective is how the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio, brings us into the good and bad of the 1950s world. It was a man's world, unfair to women. It was a wonder world of advances in cars, appliances, even TV dinners. And it was a harsh world, where the societal safety net for a family in trouble was thin indeed. The prize winner of Defiance, Ohio. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, Donald Trump. If from diapers to diplomas to inconsistent employment, enduring gender income disparity before returning to diapers, we fail to recognize the odd man out between Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, and Donald Trump, then America's greatness will forever elude us. So before tipping our hat or bowing our head for the courageous who toss their hat into the ring, know this. On and off the field, character determines who are champions. Ruth, Ali, Trump, all three American-born, nurtured on exceptional arcs of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but one knocked through the door of the very wealthy, demanding more. One, seeking freedom of religion, peace over war, uprooted Jim Crow prose with racially equality poetry, knocking down, if not out, most opposition. And one, just for the fun of it, asked only to hit away. One, a good Samaritan, keeping his promises to fans, welcomed every pitch as he did life itself, overachieving, overindulging, and over-celebrating, knowing every swing and a miss brought him closer to home runs. Depending on our generational brand, evasion of, secession by, or fascination for, Christian nation, political persuasion, or humanity station, one, whether ringed in by the bell or echoing give em hell, knocked down walls of racial hate and, refusing to kneel before the corporate-sponsored war for profit, sacrificed the title of champion for principle. From one such a gesture, if attending a 2016 GOP rally, would garner him a look at my African-American over here. With accumulating performances of sensationalized sound bites, will we yet see through a glass darkly before coming face to face with disaster by Trump? It is not only an Indiana Mexican who is being called out of order by one who neither knows nor cares for the human decency that is the foundation of Mount Rushmore, the pedestal holding our torch for liberty, nor the soul of our U.S. Constitution. On and off the diamond, George Herman Ruth Jr. was a major leader in baseball for 22 seasons, but arguably was at his best when visiting children in orphanages and hospitals. Legend says the babe delivered on a hospital promise to hit a home run for a little boy. Whether he indicated it from home plate or not matters little, because for millions of Americans, Babe Ruth was the home run. Flawed to be sure, but heroic with every swing. Even before middle school, I chose singing, the viola, and girls over sports. So the greatest Muhammad Ali 
was the first boxer I'd ever heard of, and significantly the only time I ever willingly joined my family for a sports event on radio, was to hear the poetically entertaining big talker Cassius Clay deliver on his braggadocious promises of victory. Building on inherited money, Donald John Trump is a reality TV personality who has bullied his way through real estate deals, bankruptcy, and the Plaza Hotel to become the 2016 presumptive nominee of the Republican Party for the President of the United States of America by working our disunity and incivility. To preserve our union in 2016, it is for us to be here dedicated to vote out corporatism and its empty wheelbarrows of cokeheads in Congress and red state houses. To keep government of, by, and for the people safe from the trumped destruction of those so disheartened they confuse a shameful false prophet with a savior, when what America needs is major league statespersons. Reason dictates... Before casting our sacred privilege, we the people ponder who among us are the heroes, who the targeted victims, and who the strike-out steer shoveling bull hockey through our electoral china shop. For all of us, it is crucial we supremely scrutinize, for both voter and elected will be immortalized, either foolish or wise. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Com website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.